Good afternoon. Happy Monday, if such a thing exists, to everybody in Lafayette. It's good to talk with you. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation and lots of conversations to be had. Originally, I'd kind of planned for an all-national show because there's a lot of stuff, a lot of things nationally to talk about, but there is a budding controversy in Baton Rouge. I mentioned it a little bit last week. I don't have any faith in the Louisiana legislature to get this one right. Some folks that I've talked to and some folks that I've read, they have a little bit of faith that the legislature might get at least part of it right. I just refuse to underestimate the legislature's ability to screw this up. And I am talking, of course, about a veto session. So we've got a couple folks out there who are pretty sure that a veto session is inevitable. Jeff Sadow, who uh, is a professor of political science, you've heard him on the Moon Graffon show. He writes a column fairly regularly at the Hayride. Uh, Jeff Sadow wrote in a blog post today that the legislature, it's likely they could be going back to Baton Rouge. This year, he writes, Edwards, Governor John Bill Edwards, struck several high-profile popular bills passed with supermajority votes to spare. This almost guarantees by the end of this week, fewer than half of legislators in both houses will turn in ballots asking to forego the session, meaning it will happen. And once there, because of the nature of these, protecting children, parents, teachers, among other items, with such majorities and in an election year where legislators or several legislators know a vote to sustain likely will cost them re-election, it's very likely to override, it's very likely overrides will succeed on multiple bills. However, that's not all the groundbreaking that could occur. Among the three vetoes ever overridden under the 1974 Constitution, none have been of the line item variety. That could change this month because the legislative leaders in their zeal to enforce discipline, left the door open to this. Traditionally, until recently, the legislature would pass the capital outlay bill and usually another supplemental one, if not including some capital items in the general appropriations bill, late in the session and oversubscribed. This meant the governor could wait until after the session to cast vetoes, thereby requiring a veto session to override. It also meant that as the total amount of all projects exceeded the amount of capacity for bond sales, the state bond commission would have to pick and choose which to forward among those of the highest priority ranking. Legislators have liked doing this, especially in election years, to create the impression they bring home the bacon, even though some projects won't get funded on the intended timeline and, if conditions change, possibly at all. But in 2020, a wash in cash from the federal government overreacting to the Wuhan coronavirus pandemic, the legislature didn't oversubscribe. Plus, until Edwards' terms as governors had enough clout to control the SBC. But his increasingly leftist governance alienated enough other panel members comprised mostly of other Republicans and executive and legislative branch elected officials to have its own GOP members control of it. Now, if you were listening 
to Moon show on Friday. Paul Hurd was in and he he went over in his in Moon's second hour, he went over one of the big problems with Edwards vetoes. Namely the line item vetoes, because one of those vetoes, and this is of interest to me because it pertains to the education sector. Edwards restored $100 million of spending to health by taking it away from education. So the money that was going to be block granted to parishes to ostensibly pay down some retirement debt and thereby giving teachers a raise, but as I went over before, that's not really how that works. That was kind of a... uh, little bit of political maneuvering over something that wasn't actually going to happen. Edwards struck that money to the parishes, to the school districts. Here's the issue, though. A line item veto subtracts. It doesn't allow you to shift money around. The money was already taken out of health and human services or or the, the whatever, uh, whatever the department is. It was out of, it was, Put the, the State Department of Health, the money wasn't there. Now, Edwards can't use a line item veto to shift money around. He cannot do that. But he did so with his line item vetoes. So that right there is an issue. But there's also the high-profile issue of the, uh, the child sex change bill. The pediatric sex change bill. That was the bill that would allow, or that would ban, I'm sorry, medical professionals in the state of Louisiana from performing a sex change on minors or prescribing hormone therapies, hormone blockers, things like that to minors. He vetoed that bill. He also vetoed another bill which actually has Secretary of State, outgoing Secretary of State Kyle Ardwin, also up in arms. And that's House Bill 646. Now that's a bill that would provide for a cleaner voter roll in Louisiana. See, when they tried to recall Latoya Cantrell in New Orleans, what Orleans Parish discovered is that there were as many as 25,000 fake voters dead, moved away, or otherwise. So Louisiana needs to do a better job of cleaning up its voter rolls. Actually, a great option for this would be something like Georgia's law, which automatically goes through and finds that if a voter hasn't voted in a certain number of elections, they're automatically removed. They are sent multiple warnings... And if they get back with the Secretary of State's office, they can stay on the voter roll. But if they don't, they are automatically removed from the voter rolls. You will note that this was an issue that Stacey Abrams tried to bring up when she first ran against Brian Kemp for governor several years ago in 2018. But it was a bill when she was in the Georgia legislature that she co-sponsored. And then she later, as she was running for governor, called it voter suppression. But anyway, back to Louisiana. Louisiana needs to clean up its voter rolls. But John Bill Edwards, being the ever-faithful Democrat, decided, no, we're not going to do that. So he vetoed that bill. So you have House Bill 648, 
the pediatric sex change bill. You have 646, the cleaner voter roll bill. And you have these line item vetoes, all of which the legislature really needs to get in on the act and override some of this. They need to challenge Edwards, particularly on 646 and 648. There's probably some way to constitutionally challenge the whole line item thing. But there still needs to be something done about 646 and 648. Now, again, I don't have any faith. I, I, I'm not going to say any faith. A, a tiny bit of hate, faith they might get some of this right, particularly because it's an election year. The pediatric sex change bill was passed with a lot of votes. I mean, a, a huge majority. Despite Fred Mills, huge majority. The legislature can go in and override that because the people of Louisiana care about that bill. You personally may be out there thinking Louisiana shouldn't be worried about this. It's wrong. It's immoral. Whatever. The fact of the matter is that Louisiana residents, by and large, support it. And all of these people who voted for it know if they go back home and they say they didn't fight to get that veto overturned, their voters are going to look for somebody else more conservative. A lot of these a lot of these folks are already running a lot of risk by the way they voted on the state budget, which is an entirely separate issue from all this. Right now, the legislature legislators are trying to figure out whether to go into a veto override session. We won't know until Friday if they have the votes to do so. I refuse to underestimate the legislature's ability to screw this up. My real feelings on this don't include the word screw and use a four-letter word that I can't say on the air, but you kind of understand where I'm going at. I won't underestimate their ability to screw this up, but Scott McKay at the Hayride writes that he thinks the pressure is going to be a little too great and that Clay Schecksneider in particular needs to get on the bandwagon for 646 because he's running for Secretary of State against Kyle Arwin's Deputy Secretary of State, Nancy Landry. So Schecksneider has a little bit of motivation to go for a veto session. Page Cortez, no idea. Somebody reached out earlier today on social media and asked or said that that, that person and, and, and people that they knew didn't feel represented and asked if I felt the same way. And I'll tell you what I what I told this person. We in Lafayette are not represented. Among the Lafayette delegation, among the Acadiana delegation, a few of them represent us, but the vast majority represent Baton Rouge very well. And we need better representation. If, they, if, if members of the, of the Acadiana, of the Lafayette delegation can't get this 
right, can't get this together, they need to be gone. And not just from their office, but from Louisiana politics in general. All right, let's take this break, 232-1542, or the app chat if you want to be part of the conversation. We'll take this break. We'll be back in a moment here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. So like I mentioned, if you go over to theheyride.com, you'll see Scott McKay has a piece on the veto override session. Uh, I believe that was published on Friday uh, over at the Hayride, uh, right? Yes, on the 7th. So on Friday that was published. Uh, he cites several groups. Uh, you have the Center for, uh, I'm sorry, Citizens for a New Louisiana, uh, the Louisiana Freedom Caucus, uh, even, like I said, Secretary of State Carl Ardwin's office, all calling for a veto override session on various issues. To quote McKay, we said earlier this week that when Edwards vetoed House Bill 648, the bill banning pediatric sex changes, it would be impossible not to have a veto session. The legislative leadership wants for their work to be over. There's only so much failure one can withstand. And in the case of House Speaker Clay Schecksneider, he needs some peace and quiet if he's going to beat Nancy Landry and Public Service Commissioner Mike Francis in that Secretary of State race. But once Edwards vetoed the minor trans surgery bill, it became too hot. If there isn't a veto session, every legislator running for re-election with an R next to their name will have to explain why they didn't go back to the Capitol to override him. So those calls for a veto session are only going to grow louder. We're pretty sure that in a week and a half, the legislature will be back in session trying to override many of the two dozen plus vetoes Edwards made. And he's right. You could very well see that. In, let's see. Friday is when we find out. Friday is when we find out if there will be a, a veto override session. It's in the stars. But if the legislature, as we know it, does what it's always done, which has let us down. I mean, there couldn't be, or at the very least, there could be, but they don't get anything done. It'd be like the first veto override session where they talk big talk and then they don't whip votes and nothing gets overridden. And it's just another political game that we all have to suffer through. And frankly, gotta be honest with y'all, I'm, I'm very sick of suffering through this legislature. There has to be something that they can do because Edwards is on his way out the door. He doesn't have to face re-election. He doesn't have to worry about any of that. I mean, he just cut a potential, what the Republicans were touting as the way to raise teachers' pay. He, he line-item vetoed that. He doesn't care anymore. He's not going back into office. And you don't hear any of the teachers' unions complaining about it, do you? All right, here's our bottom of the hour news break. Fox Business and the Commodities Report up next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. I have a controversial question to ask, especially given part of what I talked about in the last segment. Is there a ceiling to how much the culture wars 
can benefit a Republican candidate? And if so, do you think that Ron DeSantis has hit it? I ask because there's been a lot of talk lately in circles, both public and private, and I'm privy to some of those private conversations, or at least what is said in some of those private conversations. There's a lot of talk about whether or not DeSantis needs to have a major pivot. Now, for a lot of you listening, for a lot of you listening, you may not really care all that much because DeSantis isn't your guy. For a lot of you, Donald Trump is still your guy. But for those of you out there looking for something different, there is talk about the DeSantis campaign. DeSantis has focused almost exclusively on two things. He's dropped some hints about policies and other platform ideals, but he's focused largely on two things. Well, three things. The first is the culture war stuff, fighting the wokes, things like that. And to be fair, those are things that need to happen. The second thing he's talked about is his record of success in Florida. And he went from barely winning the state in 2018 to absolutely crushing his opposition by nearly 20 points in 2022. The third thing he is talking about is how unfair the media is, and he's not even going to give them the time of day, despite the fact that he does give them the time of day just enough to tell them that he's not going to give them the time of day. The other day, I mentioned an NBC poll, an NBC News poll that showed one of the topics that makes Republican voters most likely to switch over to a candidate is for that candidate to talk about sending the U.S. military to our southern border to take on the drug cartels. Not to enforce the border, although that is also very popular, but the the most the, the issue most likely to get Republican voters to switch over, and I might add, the issue that makes a lot of voters in general look positively at a candidate is to send the mil- is for them to say they want to send the military to the border to take on the drug cartels. There are a good many American families that are at least a couple degrees removed from somebody who has overdosed on fentanyl. Moreover, more than 70% of Americans feel that America is on the wrong track, that America, particularly when it comes to financial issues in the economy, is not on the right track. And the media, Chuck Todd, Joe uh, Scarborough, uh, Robert Reich, who you, who was a, a leftist economist who uh, who used to work for the Clinton administration, and others, all have been writing pieces or saying on their shows or whatever that Americans really don't get how great things are right now. America has has turned the corner from the bad economy. They, uh, the Biden administration has created all these jobs that things are recovering and yada 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 yada. 
and Americans just aren't feeling it. Well, it's easy for Joe Scarborough or Chuck Todd or Robert Reich to be able to say these things from their deluxe houses because they've made millions of dollars over the years, especially Joe Scarborough and Chuck Todd. Robert Reich is not hurting for money either. He is a guy who will go out and speak. He is a guy who has all this uh, recognition for his work in politics. But these are people that live in their ivory towers far above the rest of the United States where people on a day-to-day basis are struggling. Now, Americans do feel the need to take on the silly wokeness of the progressive left. And they do have a lot of reservations about a Democratic Party that is openly embracing child genital mutilation and teaching about sexual orientation to kindergartners. They do have concerns about that. But they are also more concerned with the kitchen table issues of their pocketbook, of safety, the violent crime that's on the rise, the border issues, the drug crisis. There really hasn't been a candidate to take a hard pivot and focus almost exclusively on these issues. Ron DeSantis has averaged in just about every Republican primary poll somewhere between 19 and 25 points. But he's stagnated there. He's not growing. Donald Trump has pretty much stagnated. He's gotten some bumps because of the indictments of the left coming after him legally. But he is also hovering in pretty much the same range he's always been. The number of undecideds hasn't changed either. The undecided voters, who are largely in double digits as well, they don't seem to be moving because they haven't found somebody who's addressing the issues they want to see addressed. Each candidate comes with a built-in constituency. For some, it's not a very big constituency at all. They're barely breaking 1% in the polls. But for DeSantis, the people who are very concerned about the super-progressive left and their cultural issues... They've already plugged in their allegiance to Ron DeSantis. The people who are loyal to Trump are going to continue to be loyal to Trump. So in order to grow, DeSantis, or anybody else really, needs to tap into those undecideds. Because once they start showing growth in the polls, any of these non-Trump candidates, once they start showing growth in the polls... That starts to make people with other candidates, yes, including Trump, a little more wobbly. But DeSantis is stagnant. Nikki Haley is stagnant. Tim Scott is stagnant. All these others are stagnant forces. Ron DeSantis is still drawing a ton of money. He has more money between his campaign and his PAC than Trump does. He has an insane amount of money. But spending that money on the same messaging that got him to where he is and where he stagnated isn't going to work. And donors are now worried that DeSantis can't pivot, that he's a one-trick pony, he's only got this one issue, and they're hesitant to give more money to DeSantis.
if DeSantis, if Tim Scott, if Nikki Haley or Vivek Ramaswamy or Chris Christie or Mike Pence or any of the others who have jumped into this race, if they want to grow, if they want to show momentum, it's time to pivot onto those issues that are really affecting voters right now. Inflation is still high. Wages are not outpacing inflation. People are. St- there was somebody on CNBC, uh, CNBC this morning saying we still are expecting a recession. A little bit later than we thought, probably coming later this year, early in 2024, but we're still expecting it. That's what economists are still saying. And people around America, sitting around their kitchen tables, they hear this sort of talk and they're worried about it. And none of the candidates on the trail seem ready to address it. And for those of you who are Donald Trump supporters... You are loyal Donald Trump supporters. You've called in and said so, that Trump is your guy. You think it's his time once again. But if Trump is hovering below half, and in some polls he is, he's below 50% in the Republican primary. If he stagnates and stays there, and you have a bunch of people who are independents, or even left of center, but they, they're questionable about Biden. Is Trump ready to go out and say what he's going to do? Because, yeah, sure, Trump's previous term in office, there were a lot of great things, economically speaking. But that one end, that last little chunk of his administration is where everything went south. And yes, it's a once in a lifetime, once in a generation, once in a hundred year pandemic that caused it. But people are still wary about it because it was under Trump's administration that the closures happened. That the restrictions happened. And Trump was touting them. And Republican governors that tried to open up their states early, Trump blasted them. And there's a lot of people out there that are wary of that too. So Trump also needs to reassure voters that he is focused on riding the economy, riding that ship. This is the guy that said Mexico was going to pay for the wall. There was not much wall built and Mexico didn't pay a dime for it. How is he going to go back and enforce that? Trump was busy focusing on North Korea and really let China slide. And now China is a major geopolitical threat. Really always was, but now they're emboldened because of Joe Biden. Can Trump promise that he's going to go and be tougher on China? Not just with a trade war or anything like that, but in terms of serious national security policy. Every single one of the Republican candidates has to come out and start talking about this. Now, a caveat to everything I just said, because I love living in a world of contradictions, it is July 10th, 2023. The Iowa caucuses are in like the second week of January, still five months away. With the exception of Trump, most of these campaigns are just a few months old. There is still time for them to make that pivot. But they need to do so and strike while the iron's hot because you can see 
the old man in the White House is not getting any better, and he's not really doing a whole lot, and he's going around touting Bidenomics. Meanwhile, everything seems poised to collapse. It should be very easy for a candidate to pivot to the economy, to these things that are worrying Americans at their kitchen table, and to say, Biden's going around taking credit for all this. It should happen. We'll see who does it first. 232-1542 is the number, or you can send a message through the KPL app chat. Let's take this final break. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show with your comments and a little bit more of the news of the day here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number. We do have some calls coming in. Also some messages through the KPEL app. Uh, shout out to Billy, who's listening in Church Point. Mike uh, also sent a message in. DeSantis has let, us, has let it known he's a cultural warrior for conservative values. Spending 95% of his time on this now won't move any new votes. He should move to uh, the border and inflation. And Mike's right. And from what I've heard in the background... The DeSantis team is actually working on that pivot, working to pivot to the border and inflation and things like that. But uh, they're they're moving very slowly on that pivot. It'll be interesting to see uh, if they will fully shift to that here in the near future. Going to the phone lines, we've got Kevin on the line. Kevin, how are you today? Good, buddy. How about yourself? I'm making it. What you got? Listen, I caught the tail end of the conversation. You saying that the um, the Republican candidates need to focus more on the economy than what they've been focusing on? Correct? Did I catch that right? Yes. Uh, I agree, hundred percent. I believe the economy is one of our top priorities. Uh, but man, it's 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 almost overwhelming. You know, you take in every consideration of uh, you know we got border crisis, mm-hmm. we got you know deep state bureaucracy that's targeting conservatives like I've never seen in my lifetime, and I'm sure you haven't either. Right. It, it's it's hard to pinpoint what's the top issue. Economy, stupid, you know, that's always been the case, but it's, uh, it's just hard to pinpoint one particular topic that's the priority of this election. It's, it's everything and all of the above. It, it really is, and, and I get that sense, too, and the the thing that that I'm kind of paying attention to and what we're what you're seeing in a lot of and I know everybody says don't trust the polls or anything but when you you notice the trend lines and everything it's always the stuff that's closest to home like if you look at what American voters are really worried about it is the economy it is immigration it's crime it's it's fentanyl the stuff about the deep state and the swamp and all that, that's kind of on the periphery. People are still concerned about it, but they're not as concerned as that immediate kitchen table stuff, which is what I'm hoping the candidates will start to realize and stop focusing on the great talking points on the culture war stuff and the Washington, D.C. swamp stuff and everything like that. The hope is that American voters, I mean, we know American voters vote with their pocketbooks. They vote for those kitchen table issues. Can the candidates start to coalesce around these ideas and really start hitting on that? You know, I did hear that you mentioned in Donald Trump's last uh, leg of his administration is where he took the hit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's kind of unfair because of what went down. I mean, I think, you know, given what happened, the 85 percent, 90 percent 
of his administration before that hit. I mean, it's it's all plus side for Donald Trump. I think he's a America first. I believe he's for the middleman. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not against Ron DeSantis in any way. I, I wish that beef between them would separate, but mm-hmm. it's probably not gonna. Um, I just when you see what happens to anyone that stands up for conservative values, you know, Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, uh, Roger Stone, everybody that's been targeted by this administration that we can prove in the public sphere what's been declassified or what's been released and and leaked out, you know, they're the guilty party. And if we can't fix that element of our politics, you know, what does anything else matter? I mean, it's, we're basically going to be a dictatorship at that point anyhow. Yeah. Kevin, thank you very much for the call. Unfortunately, right up against the clock. You have a good one. All of you have a great one out there. Love the conversation. We'll keep it going here for the rest of the week on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Email Joe at RedState.com. Talk to you guys again soon here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL.